2: Australian bars, titty discs,
0: and that's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm gonna go into the Marvel Wikipedia and uh, whatever it is. <laughs> the <worst titty> disc. <laughs> get better than that. Um, comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them?
1: Hey guys, welcome back to another spectacular, wondrous episode of comics, motherfucker. Do you read them? Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts guiding you through the spaceways tonight, but I am not alone. I have actually, I have one of my fellow fanholes with me tonight. Why don't you give a shout out and let everybody know who's going to be traversing the spaceways with me tonight.
0: Hey, this is Justin.
1: And we are not alone. We have a very special guest in from the Delta Quadrant. Uh, we have Gene Hendricks, Gene Gene, the podcasting machine. Uh, why don't you say what's up and let everybody
2: know who's here tonight? Oh, permission to come aboard, gentlemen. Greetings from permission, the... <laughs> permission granted. <laughs> Greetings from the uh, wilds of Florida. Woo! Yeah, so we're we're basically doing a... Stories from the Spinnerack
1: episode tonight. We're doing a smattering of Star Trek comics from various eras, and me and Justin thought this would be kind of fun. And one of the first people we thought of was Gene when we were thinking of putting this show together. And so we've got a a series of comics for you tonight, and I guess we'll just get into it real quick. And since since I have the oldest comic in the bunch, um, my comic is the Marvel Comics released Star Trek issue number six. It's got a cover date of September, 1980, and the on-sale date of June 3rd, 1980. The cover price is a whopping 50 cents. It's almost double what Professor Allen would pay for a comic, <laughs> but it, it's still it's still pretty cheap for me. The page count is 32 pages. Editor Louise Simonson. The story is titled The Enterprise Murder Case, and it's got writer Mike W. Barr, penciler Dave Cockrum, inker Klaus Jansen, letterer Rick L. Parker, and colorist Carl Gafford. And I could not steal a synopsis because I don't think there is a synopsis for the Marvel issues anywhere online, or maybe if there is, I just didn't stumble upon it, so I wrote my own. Mr. Scott and Transporter Chief Janice Rand are encountering a freak transporter malfunction when Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock arrive to check on the status of Ambassador for All, who is beaming up from an important negotiation with Yanid Six to join the Federation. Dr. McCoy arrives late to the transporter room, just in time to witness the ambassador keel over with a knife stabbed in his back upon re- rematerialization. Kirk orders McCoy to perform an autopsy, and Mr. Spock to investigate the murder of Ambassador for McCoy finds a discrepancy, as his readings indicate the Ambassador has been dead for 15 minutes when he only beamed up dead five minutes ago. Spock finds the logs of the Enterprise regarding the beam-up have been mysteriously erased, and notices a discrepancy of his own. Kirk offers his condolences via viewscreen to Prince Stof and Princess Minax on the death of their uncle, the ambassador. Not only do the Yanid Six royalty reveal that the rebel populace of the planet now wish to join the Klingon Empire after reports of their uncle's death reached the masses, but also that their uncle's name was an anagram for Prince Arlith. Meanwhile, on the planet's surface, Sulu... DeFalco and Chekhov become embroiled in a barroom brawl between the pro- and anti-Federation contingents. The trio leave the fight in an emergency transport. Both Spock and McCoy, along with Kirk's superior, Admiral Fitzpatrick, notice Kirk's been on edge since the incident began. In a flashback, Kirk tells Spock and McCoy that he once visited Yannid Six VI before as an ensign. During a fight between Klingon-backed rebels and the established nobility, Kirk was part of a landing party assigned to rescue Prince Arliff after his father, King Joror, was murdered by the rebel forces. Instead, a warning shot fired from Kirk's phaser at the rebels ricocheted and struck Prince Arliff, placing him in a coma. The younger brother then became king and blamed the Federation, declaring that so long as he lived, Yanid VI would never join the Federation. When Prince Arliff finally came out of his coma years later, he too blamed Kirk for losing the throne to his younger brother and was forced to change his name to Frall and become an ambassador. Kirk believes that whoever did kill Frawl is trying to make it look like he is responsible for the murder and drive a wedge between the Federation and Yannid Six once again. Spock theorizes that the person actually responsible is none other than Frawl himself. A body double was used, and Spock can tell because of a missing ring on the murdered double that holds strong sentimental value to Frawl. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy beam down to Yanid Six, disguised as natives, to question the one plastic surgeon, a rebel sympathizer named Dr. LaRock, who may be part of the cover-up. When they arrive at Dr. LaRock's clinic and she refuses to talk, a phaser blast shoots out of a dark corridor, killing her. Prince Stofe and Princess Minax arrive unmasking Dr. McCoy and accusing Kirk of the two murders. Spock then bluffs about telepathically scanning three surgically altered subjects, which causes Frawl to reveal himself, holding Princess Minax hostage at phaser point. McCoy quickly gives Frawl a sneak attack with a hypospray that knocks him out before he can do any harm or escape. With the culprit revealed, Yanid Six eagerly joins the Federation and Kirk congratulates his officers on a job well done. And that is the hopefully sweet but maybe not so short synopsis for Marvel Comics Star Trek issue number six, the Enterprise Murder Case. So I guess just to kick it
2: all off, I, I, I think you may have revealed this already, but Gene, have you have you ever read this before? No, this one I have not read. Uh the Marvel stuff was something that passed me by because it was it was a little early in my comics collecting career, so I wasn't exactly getting Star Trek comics at that point. How about you, Justin? Have you have you read this before, or the Marvel series in general?
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, I've read this uh, once before, but it's probably been 25-something years.
1: Okay, okay. And then was it like a back issue? Like, how would you come across it or stumble into it?
0: I think I got a bunch of these at a flea market at one time. Like, I was trying to collect every issue in this series, but... I, I don't think I did. Even though there's, what, 16 or 17 issues in this volume, I don't think I ever had every issue.
1: Yeah, it seems like a pretty reasonable goal, I guess, but maybe maybe the enthusiasm would wane. I mean, I, I kind of did a read-through of most of the issues before we got together to do this. Like, this was the only issue I actually ever owned. I It fits my mandate for Spinner Rack Comics, even though I really didn't get it from a Spinner Rack. But, mm. you, you know, th- this may be a... a uh, you know, broken record player for people who have heard this version of my my Spinner Rack thing before. But this is a comic I got in a trade from a friend when I had Spinner Rack comics and they had Spinner Rack comics and we did a swap. So we swapped a bunch of comics. And then the funny part about that is I think later he missed having those Spinner Rack comics. So he actually bought like nicer copies of them from a store and had me give him back. The original beat up copies for sentimental reasons. So I I, I guess that's, you know, I I kind of think those sentimental reasons carried over onto me. And so that's why I picked out this issue. and, And it's one of the ones that I actually when I was trying to sort of recreate my, I guess, my spinner rack experience, I included that as an issue I ended up picking up so I could stick it on my spinner rack here in the Derek Mancave, as it were. Mm-hmm. And, and like the, the, the interesting thing is like for this, like, and, and of course I already got some Facebook comments on this from Clinton Robinson, but, um, it, it's got the blurb that says this Marvel comic could be worth $2,500 to you, <laughs> you know, like, and so it's like this contest or whatever. And like this issue. And then what it also makes me think of specifically is Marvel Star Wars issue 39, which starts off that. The Empire Strikes Back adaptation also had that on the blurb. Mm. And, and I remember that I got in a comic specialty shop as a back issue. And I remember being a little confused by it. I mean, I know I know Clinton was joking on the Facebook page because he, he wrote like, was it worth, you know, was it worth <laughs> the, the 2500 Was it really? You know, like that kind of thing and and what's funny is like my memories of that were seeing those blurbs and maybe because it was a comic specialty shop and because there were comics that were conceivably worth more than the cover price and i was just being introduced to that like that banner stopped and gave me pause a little bit where i was like it's not worth that much is it you know like <laughs> like, like like you know like that that kind of thing cuz i i'm pretty sure at the time i think I, I might have paid like two fifty or you know whatever it was, like some kind of back issue price for for the the star wars uh, back issue or whatever, even though the blurb is just basically dealing with like some kind of contest you know i I remember it did sort of give me pause or whatever and i I guess I was just gonna ask you guys like do you guys remember this banner like does it does it look familiar to you outside of maybe just you know this Star Trek cover issue?
2: Yeah, I've I've seen it before. I am more familiar with the Toys R Us bike giveaway banner. Mm, yeah. That was plastered across a lot of comics, but I I have seen this before on some back issues, I, including some that I that I own physical copies of. So it it, it when I saw it, I was like, oh, it's that era.
1: What about you, Justin? Did did the banner stand out to you at all or anything?
0: Yeah, but I mean, I've seen it so many times. I think I just kind of like glossed over it. <laughs>
1: Okay. Okay. And then like, I—I I mean, I don't know. I—I'm just speaking for myself. Like, I—I I, I know, I know. Like, some of these Marvel comics get kind of like a bad rap just because they don't deal too much with. I mean, I guess at the time they only had the rights to Star Trek the Motion Picture, so they could they could replicate the the Enterprise crew in the outfits from the motion picture, and it sounds like that was basically it. So they had to come up with like a lot of original concepts that maybe weren't related to the tv series and stuff like that but i mean i I don't know like for me i i would say this issue in particular i just have nostalgic fondness for it like because it it deals with something to me that's like a a spinner rack issue and i had to deal with the the friend that i swapped the comics with so because of that it has like a a sentimental value in that sense but i I was going to say this is what because because i i said i was getting some some crap from from scott h gardner about it right like i i I, what i told him on the facebook page was just you know i i don't think these early issues are are too shabby you know like like i mean the the cockram art is fine like the 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 klaus jansen inks are fine like i enjoy the art and i think some of the stories are they evoke the star trek kind of uh uh I'm trying to think of the right word but like it, 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 they they have that sensibility of Star Trek to me like like I don't read these and think oh my god that has nothing to do with Star Trek <laughs> I think you know I think oh you know this makes sense there's a transporter accident like somebody's murdered there's a mystery they're trying to figure out what's going on and then you know the I mean how many Star Trek stories have you seen where the the crew beams down to a planet disguised as aliens mm-hmm. you know like I mean like and 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 that they're trying to solve some kind of mystery or whatever that that all feels like Star Trek to me i I enjoy the art in it I think all the characters i mean while they're not like strict likenesses i think I think some of the panels have really great likenesses of of a lot of the cast and everything like that I mean some of the stuff is a little more tame like I think when you get into like the the bar fight with with chief defalco or or um like Sulu and Chekhov like they don't they don't look it's not like it's this kind of Neil Adams you know mm-hmm. character. Likeness that's like identical to to uh, you know Walter Koenig or or uh, you know George Takei or anything like that or or um, I, I I had to take notes but but um, Marcy Lafferty who played Chief DeFalco in Star Trek the Motion Picture right and and then mm-hmm. like like I was just trying to get background on that like I guess at the time she was William Shatner's wife mm-hmm. and then and then they talked about how like the, the movie doesn't give her any. First name. These comics certainly don't give her any first name, but then various novels, according to which one you read, they either call her uh, Marcella or Suzanne. So, like, it, it's it's you know the wonderful continuity of Star Trek novels. People, there's <laughs> there there's, there multiple choice like the Joker's origin. You yep. know, like so. Yeah, and so like that. I mean, you know, I like I said, I I, I thought that was kind of cool. The the thing I was going to mention too, and I don't I don't know if you'll agree with me or disagree with me. But whenever I was reading these comics and Admiral Fitzpatrick makes an appearance, like he reminds, it's kind of like, what if Adama from Battlestar Galactica was a
2: Starfleet Admiral? That's exactly my thought. I was looking, I was reading through this. I'm like, oh, they got Lauren Green to do a guest spot. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I know. I was like, like, what's Adama doing in Starfleet? But yeah, that's. That's what I felt like when I was when I was looking at that. And then and then because we have Cochram as an artist, like w- one thing that did occur to me was I, Dr. LaRocque, like she's she's a female uh, Yanid sixth native. But she's kind of got a tail, and she's kind of got some some white long hair, and and I thought maybe Cochrane borrowed some visuals from Hepsiba from the Starjammers, like a little bit, or yeah. some you know something along those lines, like where it's like if you put those two together, like they kind of you know there there'd be certain similarities, you know, they both have tails, they're both aliens, you know, they both kind of you know I don't know, like that 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 was kind of my thought on that. So uh, as far as you know, things I noticed related to the art and
2: and. The, the comic itself this is one i would actually put it like a hybrid between the original series and the animated series mm, because okay. the animated series you could get all these wild looking aliens um and like the, this would be perfect Yeah, you know, they they only got four fingers on each hand they've got tails they're purple they have no pupils so it it would work with that but it feels like an original series episode you have oh kirk's got history on this planet and uh there's something you know some type of diplomatic thing going on that the enterprise has to solve it it's what- it's that mindset of story is what i want to say and it it works really well i mean it it's because supposedly after the motion picture, Kirk took the enterprise on another five year mission, and that's yeah exactly what this feels like it's a something that you would get out of that that kind of setting you it's episodic you know it's bang one issue done you get everything you want to see all the characters are are spot on and it it works really well and the art is is good i it's not overly photo referenced you can see that there are some panels whereas okay you know they they obviously got a, a picture of shatner here or Really, if you if you look at it, there's one instance of Kirk where he's he's arguing with the the current king on the planet. And there's a close up of him where he looks like Lauren Green with the mm. the hairline and the expression it looks like, oh, well, we have this Battlestar Galactica comic. Let me just flip through that. Oh, that's a good pose. But for the most part, it's it's simple. It works really well. The. Uh the setup is great, the conclusion's great. Spock's doing his whole Sherlock Holmes thing. Uh McCoy actually saves the day, which is a nice switch, with his hypo uh knocking yeah, out yeah. uh the ambassador, which I'm I'm reading this and all I can think is okay, well, if he got to be king and he changed his name again, would that mean he was King Ralph? <laughs> Because every time I read the ambassador's name, I was like, "Oh, Ralph." <laughs> yeah.
1: I like I like that that one panel of of McCoy when they they sort of unmask him, but he mm-hmm. still kind of got like the purple face paint or whatever. Because that's yeah. like a really nice image. I mean, it, it really does look like DeForest Kelly, but then it's got that kind of amusing aspect that he's still kind of, it's like DeForest Kelly, but like, you know, he's got the, he's been drinking too much grape soda or, or he's he's like, you know, brushing up against Grimace or whatever the excuse is, you know, like, but, but I, I found that panel pretty, pretty amusing. And I I also think like, it's worth mentioning what you said about I I think maybe, like, we take for granted now, like, we live in an era where basically anything you can imagine can be put up on the screen Mm -hmm. due to, like, you know, animation and computer-generated images and all that other stuff. But, like, some of the stuff that were in these early Marvel comics, like, you mentioned the the notion of, you know, oh, they've got alien species that, that, you know, conceivably you could not. Replicate on, on a screen, no matter what your budget was. Like they, they have these various different aliens. Like some of them are almost, uh, insectoid like or mm-hmm. whatever. And then there was one story I was looking and I was like, did, did JJ J. Abrams read this Marvel comic? Cause there was like this, they were on like an ice planet and there was this red bestial monster thing that was chasing them. And I, I felt like it was that scene in the, the, you know, Kelvin first movie or whatever, because they were, they were all in snow suits and this red monster is chasing them through the ice and everything. <laughs> so it was like, it, to, to me, like, that's why I was like, Oh, like th- this felt like super similar to something that I had seen realized way later, but could be realized you know in art basically right. like you know they they didn't they, you know that's that notion of you know I, I know some artists are like well you know it's not like there's no budget in comics per se you know because you know some of them don't want to draw 50 million guys <laughs> you know rolling down a hill and 20 million tanks and all that other stuff but the notion that them drawing one extravagant you know red monster on an ice planet is not the same as as creating that in in a live action form especially in 1980 right like right. you couldn't you, you couldn't have that monster chasing you know magnum pi on tv with their budget or whatever it was so that that's the that's the kind of stuff that you could get away with in in these kind of issues I guess as far as, like, the five-year mission goes, like, the second mm-hmm. five-year mission, like, I, I don't know. For me, like, it, it always... I, I don't know if this is just me, but, like, it always kind of bothered me that, like... And I, I think this will come up periodically, maybe, as we talk about the other errors and issues we're talking about. But but it seems like the default for all these comic series, whether they're done by Marvel or DC, is they, they want to rubber band back to the status quo that they're most familiar with, mm. which is not Kirk as an admiral you know it's like it's like I, I don't even think there's any dialogue that explains that it's just he's Captain Kirk what? you know like 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 and 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 I was kind of like well like he's an admiral and then he was he he, he you know I, I I get what happened in the motion picture and it's like but it seems like even if he was taking the ship out for another five-year excursion like Doesn't he still hold the rank of Admiral or I don't know, like that that was always kind of strange to me.
2: Yeah, well, it's it's kind of weird if because in the motion picture, he's wearing a captain's rank once he's Mm. taking command of the Enterprise and he's out he's Mm. out of the uh, the white and gray uniform. So you can kind of see it going from that where you can infer that okay, well, Decker took a grade reduction to commander to be the XO when he really shouldn't have, if the Admiral's in charge, he can still be a captain. So yeah, it's it's kind of strange. I think that was more Roddenberry doing it than anything else. And then the guy people at Marvel just said, oh well, he's captain in the movie, so he must be captain now and just ran with it. Yeah. Okay. Okay at least that's you know my mental gymnastics for it,
1: yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean yeah i I feel like i I'm always going through mental gymnastics for for stuff like that because it's funny because because you've got i think comics now where people complain like, oh, you know i I, I, I keep name dropping, but I, I've been listening to podcasts or whatever, cause <laughs> I've been on vacation all week, but I, I was like I think I was listening to Andy Leland and he was talking about how. You know the, or maybe on Facebook or something about how Star Wars comics like are perpetually like stuck in like oh we're going to tell mm. stories set between like you know a New Hope and Empire you know to to establish that you know for lack of a better term you know Star Wars and Empire we're going to tell stories between those eras and everything and they're kind of stuck there and they can't get out of you know they can't tell a story that I don't know whatever it takes place after Return of the Jedi or right. you know what whatever whatever it is like some other era or something like that. They're, they're stuck in this one confined era. Whereas I think the comparison was, you know, Marvel, Star Wars, you know, and, and, and these comics, you know, it's like, oh, this takes place immediately after the motion picture. And what's interesting about this is there's no other film to sort of link it to. So it kind of goes off in its own direction. But then, you know, with some of the DC books, I think, you know, eventually there would be a film to eventually link up with. And so not, not only mental gymnastics, but they actually had to do a lot of, you know, publishing, writing gymnastics to, mm-hmm. you know, they, they may have taken the story in a completely different direction, whether they're, you know, running around in the, um, what, what was it? The Excelsior, the Excelsior but, right. you, know, you, you know what I mean? Like, like, like they had to get back to the bird of prey and, right. and all that kind of stuff. Right. And so, so, and, and, and to me, I'm like, okay, well, you know, yeah, you, you you could level a complaint like, oh, you know, some of these modern books, you know, they're afraid to put themselves in a position where they have to do those mental, you know, gymnastics or those weird rubber band things. To, to you know, It's like, you know, there's no, uh, as far as I know, I mean, I don't read all the Star Wars books, so I could be wrong about this. But as far as I know, there's no ongoing Star Wars book that like details the adventures of, you know, Ray and BB-8 and then all of a sudden they're, you know, I don't know, Hanging out with Ewoks, and then she has to like leave to go back to you know Jakku or whatever, wherever she shows up in the the next movie or something. They don't have to do anything like that because they're just not. They they either do miniseries or they're not dealing with that, or they, they it deals with a totally different era where they know where all the chess pieces end up, so they can write within that context and not, I guess, quote unquote, get it wrong, you know. But mm-hmm. but in, the, in in these kind of comics, it seems like. They they were just kind of it was it was the Wild West and they're just like all right we'll just tell a bunch of stories and if they don't pan out you know you know it, it, it's not like they they couldn't figure out a way to get it back to panning out correctly by a certain point I guess
2: yeah and I I actually enjoy the DC run the the volume one of the DC run when it's when they do that because even like the original Marvel Star Wars you can see them when they get the information, the next movie is going to have this, that, and the other. And so, okay, now we have this many issues to get to that. And, like, with Spock, after uh, between the search for Spock and the voyage home, the comics had Spock recover. Uh, his mental faculties were perfectly fine. He was captain of his own ship. Yeah. Then they said, okay, well, Star Trek Four is coming out. Spock has to be still learning to adjust and all that is like, okay, um so we have to destroy the surak, make sure Spock is the only survivor and be and the way it was destroyed screwed his mind up again, <laughs> so we're back to where we were. so you can you can actually read the comics in between the movies, and it does pretty much work, or you just watch the movies and you don't get any inkling that any time had really passed. Yeah, so it I I personally like that. I think it that it's good for the writers and whatnot. But like you, I'm not reading any modern comics, so I don't know what's going on in in the current Marvel Star Wars. Even even then, you could see it's like six months before Empire came out. Is okay? The rebels are they they've been looking for a new base. Oh, we found this ice planet. Let's head that way and take a look at it so you you see the steps going forward, but yeah i I like this I like it. it's off on its own, it's its own you know it's a plant we've never heard of, we'll never go back to, <laughs> and it it works you know it there's there's room for this in there not not everything has to be a rehash of <laughs> stuff we've already seen, yeah, yeah, i mean i mean
1: there there are, there are a lot of i mean for for good or ill there's a lot of original concepts in the in the Marvel mm-hmm. and the Star Trek comic and I guess I don't know do you, do, Justin do you want to go on to the to your issue next or do you have any other final thoughts on the the Marvel issue
0: I thought it was interesting in Kirk's flashback you see the USS Republic and it's kind of based on that rejected redesign for the Enterprise Mm. Which has since been re- repurposed as the Discovery and Star Trek Discovery. I just thought that was kind of neat. I like science. Is this the power of math, people? Hmm. But uh, yeah, that's really all I have for this this issue. I mean, it's a solid issue. Like, it's one and done. It's fun.
1: All right. Well, why don't you regale us with the, the issue you decided to bring tonight,
0: Justin? So I have from the DC Volume 1, Issue 9... Uh, This issue has a cover date of December 1984, and it sold for a whopping $0.95. The story is Promises to Keep by, again, Mike W. Barr, and this is illustrated by Tom Sutton and Richard Pilgrim. Leaving Spock to recover on Vulcan, the former crew of the Enterprise traveled to Space Station Regula 1 to conduct a memorial service for David Marcus. Meanwhile, in another universe... The Enterprise destroys regular 1, and thus begins the Mirror Universe Saga. So, I, I got this from a flea market probably, I don't know, 1988 maybe? And I didn't know they were making Star Trek comics. Like, I, I knew about the old Gold Key comics because my uncle had most of those. And I remember looking at those in his collection, especially the ones that had photo covers. But... Like, to me, this was new. I mean, even though this came out in 84 and I probably bought it in 88, I was like, you mean they make new Star Trek comics? And, like, it was the only one in the box. Like, I was just flipping through this random box of comics, and I was like, wait, what, Star Trek? And I went back, and I was like, new Star Trek comics? And so, like, when I started reading it, I was really confused because I was like, wait, this takes place between 3 and 4? But how does that make sense? So... Like, I kept trying to, like, figure out the continuity and stuff. Um, and then what really helped is um, several years later, I was at the library, and uh, they had a small section of comics. And most of it was, like, comic strip stuff, you know, like Garfield and and Hobbs. But one day I was going through their selection, and they had the trade of the mirror universe saga. And I was like, mm. what is this? I was like, is this the rest of that story? And I started flipping through and I was like, this is the whole story. Oh my gosh. So I like hurriedly, you know, ran and checked it out and devoured that whole trade. I was like, "Whoa!" like this, like I was so excited. I was like, I can finally continue this story and finish what happens. So I'm like, you know, two or three years later. So I, I have a lot of uh, nostalgia for, for this issue and the, the whole mirror universe saga. But uh, had either of you read this before?
1: I think for for that section of of traded comics, I I, I think you're revealing my hand of a potentially future choice for mm. for another one of these, uh, I think Star Trek Eleven, you know, the one where you've got the the mirror Spock like mind melding with the mm-hmm. I guess uh, you know bathrobe Spock for lack of a better <laughs> term, you know, like so so like I I remember that specifically was one of those ones in that that. Uh, set of comics that i got which is to me i consider that another spinner rack comic and then i think similar to yourself i i don't think i read it at the library but i don't think i read this whole story until i you know the entire story outside of issue 11 until i saw that mirror universe trade paperback and it's 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 one of those things where like at the time like this was one of those things that was like sort of maybe a gospel to you like this is a revisitation of a previous story but it's fun because it's the mirror universe and you get into it i think but then it it's funny because sometimes like i i remember i would revisit this and reread it again and like you you know how like sometimes like with with the information you get from like other series like it, it seems like to me like you know deep space nine took the mirror universe in a completely different direction and so then i think sometimes when i come back and revisit these stories i i tend to question them harshly in retrospect not not because they're bad but just because you 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 start to realize like like the the people that were right re- you know mike Barr didn't know about these face nine because it wasn't even on tv <laughs> yet, you know so obviously you couldn't predict that or know that but it, but then it's funny to me to read stories and and when you have that extra information of of where some of these these i guess quote-unquote canon stories went in lieu of what happened in some of these issues you know so i i i always find that sort of fascinating and and the thing i liked about this though is is that it did it was post you know star trek 3 and it seemed like it had a bunch of things that were definitely needed in those films but couldn't be right because you It's like you couldn't have, uh, you know, Carol Marcus, right? But then here you do, right? Like, so it's like that's that's something I think that was like super needed, I, I thought, or or you know, just like I, I think in some of the other surrounding issues, you had stuff where you know people would would visit uh, different characters and 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 encounter people that they wouldn't normally be able to to see, or even even the notion that like you're you're sort of seeing the Alley in this when it's not really the Alley, I guess, you know, like, the, I don't know, just, just stuff like that. I, I always found fascinating. And, and I thought just, you know, the, the, the fact that they could take a moment and have a beat with like, you know, Sulu and Chekhov and Uhura for them to like, stop and reflect on what the, Actions of Star Trek Three cost them in terms of their careers, or could potentially cost them. You know, I mean, I know a lot of times I I think that's part of the discrepancy with you know even even the between Admiral Kirk and Captain Kirk and all that kind of stuff, where you you feel like sometimes the 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 comics don't want to deal with the ramifications of things that have, take place in the movie, and sometimes in this case, I feel like th- this comic dealt with the ramifications way more than the movies felt like dealing with the ramifications. They actually like sit down and kind of think, oh, well, you know, this may have cost us our careers, you know, but some of them kind of react in a way where they're like, but I would do it again because it was for our friend Mr. Spock, you know, like that kind of thing. Whereas I I think in, in some other instances, it's kind of like, you know, you just have the happy ending and everybody's like, you saved the whales. Yay. Like everything's fine now, you know, like no court martial, you know, and, and they don't really deal with that. So I, I, I did enjoy it. I, I, I the art. I mean, like all that kind of stuff, you know, you know, what's funny is I, I think in, in some listings, this would still say that the cover price would be 75 cents. But if you look at it right on the cover, I mean, it says 95 cents. Yeah. Like I, I'm like, is that cause they added the extra Page count to it, I'm guessing. I don't, I don't know. Like, I'm, I, I was trying to figure out, like, why, like, like that's an odd, like, that's not a normal, I mean, yeah. price for for a comic. So it's like, I guess maybe just because they added extra pages or something. I'm not really, I'm not really sure.
2: Well, the so. the copy I'm looking at has 75 cents as the cover price, 95 if you're in Canada. Oh, okay, interesting. Okay, so I don't know if that has anything to do with it, uh, but. Yeah, it's that's when 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 he when Justin said 95 cents I'm like I flip back to the cover I'm like no it's not
1: <laughs> I'm like the the one I'm 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 looking at a scan but maybe it's mm. a Canadian copy then because the one I'm looking at just straight up says 95 cents and doesn't even have a oh a Canadian price yeah. so so I don't know.
2: Yeah, yeah, this says 75 cents Canada 95 cents UK 30p.
0: Huh, mm. interesting. Okay. What about Eugene, had you read this before?
2: Uh, I've read this before. I've actually read all of the both DC volumes okay. previously, but I did not read when it first came out. Uh, this is one of those that I read when I got that CD about oh, eleven years ago. Yeah, hey,
0: yeah, okay.
2: Yeah, you with know, it had all the Star Trek mm-hmm. comics up until that point. So as soon as I got that, I dove right into the DC both <laughs> volumes, read all the way through. So yeah, I've I've read this before. Uh, Must have been. I want to say three, four years ago now was the last time I read it. But yeah, I I like this. It's uh, like I was saying before, it's some connective tissue between the movies that works pretty well. You have the whole thing with the setup of Styles going after them with the Excelsior Mm. to pretty much get revenge for what they did to him in Star Trek 3. Nice bit of closure with Carol Marcus, both slapping Kirk and then hugging him at the end and the uh the whole mirror universe setup was really nice it, it was it was one of those things that i forgot about it when i was reading this i'm like okay they're going off in the bird of prey and then there's the enterprise i'm like wait is this a flashback what's going on as right right boom the regular one's gone <laughs> so that that was really cool as a as a reveal and one one other little trivia thing uh The song that Uhura and then Sulu singing, Uh, you guys know where those lyrics come from, right?
0: I I do. I'm not sure if Derek does. Uh,
2: I don't know that I noticed.
1: You you guys are going to have to edify me, I guess. uh, Go
2: ahead. Those are the lyrics from the original series theme. Oh, okay. It was written with lyrics because apparently as long as a song has lyrics, you can copyright it. Hmm. But if it doesn't have any lyrics, it's just music, There, it's a bit of a loophole. So uh, they made sure that it had lyrics in it so no one could use it again. And do, do me a favor do not look it up on YouTube because <laughs> it's not very good when you actually hear it's song. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, does anybody like Star Trek? <laughs> Old school from the 60s. Not Picard. Not Peek Hard. Kirk. Yeah, Kirk.
2: It's our favorite TV show, and we wanted to learn the theme song, so we went out and bought one of those books, the TV theme song books. And we were shocked to find that it has lyrics written by Gene Roddenberry, the creator of Star Trek. They
0: were fun. Chill out. I'm trying to tell an incredible story about Star Trek. <laughs>
2: the song is, a, is it's from the point of view of Captain Kirk's lover on earth. And she's, she's so bummed out because he's about to leave. She doesn't know when he's going to come back, if he's going to come back from space. And she's really worried because she suspects that he's going to go and make sweet love to
0: uh, beautiful alien women all over the galaxy. And he is. He's going to go make love with beautiful alien women. Blue ones, purple ones. And this is her song.
2: We yeah. are the wheel of the starlight.
1: I, I was just gonna sing it myself. I wasn't gonna look it up
2: on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe uh, you should do that and put it at the end of this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That's cool.
1: I, you know, the the other thing. I'm just uh, since I'm looking at that now because you guys were talking about it. You know, the other thing, like a few pages later, I I do like that moment where Scotty and Savick have their little three dimensional chess match. Like, I, I I think that's kind of a cool. Couple pages too, mm-hmm. like a, another cool way for them to sort of show the downtime and unwind, but also sort of deal with, you know, what I guess what's been what's been going on with with the crew and everything like that. I mean, one thing that's kind of interesting about this that that I noticed was since this takes place, you know, immediately after Star Trek Three, it deals with all the the main cast in that and Carol Marcus, and then I guess if people have been reading things for. You know some of the other ancillary characters. You know, I think it was what like Nancy and Ensign Bearclaw and mm-hmm. Conum and all those guys. Like they they definitely have to take a backseat in this issue, but they they end up showing up later on, I guess. But I suppose if you're like one of those guys where you're like, you know, you're you your big mega crossover, meaning the feature film Star Trek Three hmm. messed with my <laughs> messed with my ongoing comic book. I yeah. guess somebody could 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 yell and scream about that. Supposedly. <laughs>
2: uh but back at that uh, chess scene, what struck me is sap- something's bothering Savik. Scotty knows it. She doesn't want to talk about it. We all know that she was with Spock when he was going through Pon Far on the Genesis planet. And it was originally intended that in Star Trek IV, she would be pregnant. Mm. So that's what she doesn't want to talk about. I think I just blew their minds, ladies and gentlemen.
0: <laughs> no, I, I knew that. <laughs> Kind of like what Derek was saying earlier. There's a lot of really nice character moments in this that you wish had been on the film, like this chess uh, match between Sc- Scotty and Savick. Like that's really nice. And then the moments between Carol and Kirk, like those were needed. Like I understand why that's not in Star Trek IV because that's a comedic film, and a scene like that where they're dealing with the death of their son would have been a real downer. Oh yeah. Um, but it, but I think it was I don't know. I, I, well, at least it's somewhere, even if it is just a, a comic book. Like, at least it provides some closure uh, yeah. somewhere. I remember uh, there's a lot of like really nice shots of the bird of prey in this, and I remember like trying to uh, ape that, like draw my own versions and right. you know studying it. Like, I use comics like that uh, fairly fairly often. Like, I, I I know sometimes like Star Trek ships are hard to draw. Mm-hmm. And some artists can pull it off and some can't. And I never really understood that until I tried to do it on my own. And I'm like, wow, this is really hard because I can remember being very little trying to draw the Reliant and Uh-oh. it never came out right. And I was like, why is this so hard? And I remember, you know, finding pictures of the Reliant and I'm like, oh, this is a lot better. But I remember using like, there's a really nice shot of the Border Prey taking off and you can see it's like under a And I'm like, that's what it looks like underneath and I remember like trying to like draw that and everything.
2: Yeah, there's there's a lot of really good art in this one. It's uh yeah, a little more photo referenced in this compared to the Marvel one, but you know, uh, uh Sutton and Vilgrand did did a really really nice job, especially with all the the settings, like the ships, the the interiors, the, they got they got all spot on, I think. Yeah, and, and I, I think
1: I think it's just enough to like where you know you 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 get the idea like it, it's it's not just you know a couple shots of Shatner that that look like Shatner. It's like there there's usually like at least almost one panel for for almost all of these pages where you're like, I'll be goddamn that looks just like George Takei or, <laughs> or Takei or you know what or, or or you know some of those other panels where they have uh, you know Kirk or even like like we were saying like like Savick really does evoke Kirstie Alley more than um what is it Robin Robin uh, Curtis Robin yeah. Curtis yeah yeah so like that's that's something and, and and even um even you know BB Beach like you know i mean there's 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 panels where you're kind of like yeah that does you know that does really look like her so i mean if that's if that's what your jam is when you you come to some of these things that, that the characters look like the the actors they're they're supposed to represent. I mean, this is this is definitely uh, a good issue for that, as far as that goes. And and in, even in some of the early issues, you you might have been spoiled because you had all these like really cool George Perez covers and everything. But I mean, it still carries on even with uh, Tom Sutton. Yeah. All right. So I guess yeah. I guess I guess I guess if we don't have anything else to say about <laughs> Volume One. Uh, We'll we'll move on to uh, Gene's choice for tonight. So, Gene, why don't you tell the listening audience what issue of Star Trek you brought for us?
2: All right. Well, we're going to go to Star Trek issue 11, but this time it is in volume two. So we're talking about a cover date of August 1990. And the cover price on this one was a whopping $1.50 $1.50 or $1.95 uh, if you're in Canada, and it is part two of three of The Trial of James T. Kirk, brought to you by Peter David, writer, James W. Fry, penciler, Starr, inker, Bob Panaha, letterer, Tom McGraw, colorist, Robert Greenberger, editor, and based on Star Trek, created by Gene Roddenberry. And the title of this one is Let's Kill All the Lawyers. Now, in the issues leading up to this, we've had the Klingon ambassador, who is famous for saying at the beginning of Star Trek IV, uh, there will be no peace while Kirk lives. He is making good on that uh, because he and the uh, Sala of Asgul, or their supreme deified leader, who is someone only appearing in the comics, uh, they have brought charges of murder and ignoring the prime directive against James T. Kirk in the Federation Council. And this is a big old nostalgia cake for everyone because Kirk is represented by Samuel T. Cogley, attorney at law. And some of the witnesses, and this the whole thing of this issue is they are bringing in witnesses to testify, and the first one is called By the Sala, and that is uh, Anon Seven, and he is from the, I'm trying to remember the name of the, <laughs> the episode. A Taste of Armageddon. Uh, thank you very much. Where they were being, they were in the middle of a nuclear war fought by computers, and the Enterprise had been designated a casualty, so Kirk said, nope, that's not going to work. Why don't you try some actual nuclear war? But, you know, its testimony goes back and forth between the Sala and Cogsley, and, you know, it's, it seems to come out for Kirk in the end. The next surprise witness is everyone's favorite, Bella Oxmix from A Piece of the Action. And there's a quite an interesting twist here because it seems that uh oxmix is was reading between the lines he was skimming five percent off the top for cleek and he brought it with him <laughs> <laughs> and there's a whole roll where uh Sarek is very impressed that spock is fluent in oxmix's language and once oxmix leaves they uh the Federation president, the uh, the bald guy with the goatee, decides that uh, Cogsley can bring on a rebuttal witness immediately. And it is Leonard James Akaar, who is the baby delivered in Friday's Child from by Julie Newmar and Dr. McCoy. And he basically stands up to the, the Klingon ambassador and something that I have never in all my years reading this comic have been able to understand uh pins his cloak to the the wall using pencils okay gurgle
1: gurgle, no arrows (laughs) like from that famous young blood number one
2: Hmm. and he you know gives a good showing himself the sala is intimidated by him so he can't even ask any questions. Then Aka'ar goes over, kneels before Kirk, places Kirk's hand on his forehead, and basically says, me and my entire family are yours to command whenever you want. <laughs> and the final witness brought in is the... Uh, let me see. Where is this guy's name on here? Because I am Dr. it. I didn't write a synopsis. <laughs> uh, Prefect Ritten, who was uh, earlier in... This run was basically re- refusing to get a cure for a disease that was running rampant in the lower classes of his, uh, his world until he came down with the very same disease. Well, uh, he is here to accuse Kirk of injecting him with the disease, but it turns out that an alien ensign who looked up to Kirk was the one that actually did it. And he is now going to be in pretty big trouble. And we end on a Klingon bird of prey racing towards Earth because the Klingon Emperor wants to be there for the trial. Now, this is one that is actually a spinner rack for me. This is one that I picked up first run. I had... uh, More of volume two than I did of volume one when I was originally collecting. And that's probably just due to the time period, because I was getting a lot more into comics in the late eighties, early nineties. And I had a bunch of star Trek and the associated star Trek, the next generation comic, because they were come, they restarted the original star Trek. And so that the numbering would be the same every month. And this trial was one Peter David can pull in all kinds of old school references. And it was, this is the reason I chose this one is because that's all it is. The entire thing is just nonstop old school Star Trek references. And it's, it's nice to see the wrap up of some of those storylines because a taste of Armageddon. We didn't go back to the planet. We didn't know what happened. Apparently, they had peace for a while, and then everything got blown all to hell. Or uh, Friday's Child. We didn't know what was going on there. Obviously, uh, a piece of the action. The Iotians doing pretty well for themselves. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Oxmix hasn't aged a day in how many years, <laughs> but it. It it's a fun comic. Uh the tr- the whole lead up to the trial was a little goofy with the uh, the bounty hunter Sweeney. But once you got to the trial and you had this three-parter, it was actually a, a really good story with some nice drama, some nice light moments, uh the art on it's very good, you get some really good likenesses. Uh, but no nothing looks Out of place. Like if you have an original character next to uh, someone who is based on an actor, it's smooth. It doesn't it doesn't look like, oh, well, that's obviously a photo reference and that's cartoony. It it works. So um, how about you, Uh, Justin? Have you uh, read this
0: one before? Yeah. Kind of like yourself, I had more issues of volume two than volume one. But this issue in particular, I remember it took me a while to find this issue. Like this and issue one of volume two, like it took me a while to track them down. But I ended up finding them at, I think, a toy show. And I picked them up and, you know, filled in the missing gap in my trial of James T. Kirk collection. Uh, But yeah, this is a solid issue. And kind of like yourself, I like all the references to past issues uh, or the past episodes. Ah, uh, that's always fun to see. You know, sometimes you kind of watch an episode and you're like, "Well, gee, I wonder what happened." Like after, you know, these people stole Spock's brain. Like, what yes. happened to them? Um, I don't think that's ever been followed up on. I, don't, I I could be wrong. But you know, sometimes you watch an episode and you're like, "Well, I wonder what happened after." Like Kirk and Spock and everyone goes on their merry way. Um, I like Peter David's writing. I've read most of his Star Trek novels. Um, I think his run in the comics, like this volume, is a little uneven sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but when it works like it really works and this is a really solid issue from him
1: yeah i think for me i i think i i read this whole trial thing for the show like i ended up reading the whole three-parter like i you know what i i i wanted to say earlier but i knew i was getting the the two stories conflated like you know how you're talking about how maybe there's not a, a a good moment in a in a comedy for, for like Carol Marcus and and Kirk to, to have a moment or whatever. Like I I thought it was nice that they had uh, Scotty take a moment to go to the, the grave site of his nephew. And like, you know, they, they reference like the, you know, Mm. David, you know, getting killed and the parallels between that and how, you know, it's like, you know, you know, Coyk, is trying to be strong about it or whatever and and uh and you know scotty kind of says just like i was trying to be strong about you you know and and like i i thought all that stuff was was a good moment i i liked how they they involved other races beyond the klingons in the trial and like i i kind of enjoyed even the whole like they, they, they were doing this whole i guess burgeoning romance between um Uh, Blaze and and Kirk and everything so like and I was like oh is it like RJ Brand and RJ Blaze (laughs) like I'm like that's not that's not what it stands for but like I, I think I read later what it ends up standing for, and I thought that was kind of funny. But it sounds it sounds like typical Peter David to me, like the reveal of what RJ stands for. But um, I I I enjoyed reading this. Like this was this was very fun. Um, I, I I think all the references were definitely not lost on me. You know, it was like that was fun, and it it kind of gives you like I, I think in today's day and age, it's it's fun because you can you can go back and, like, you know, you have all this stuff at your access, so, like, you can read this and you can go watch an old episode and kind of feel like you're above board and everything. Like, I think, you know, probably back then, this was the best you could get to revisit some of those Mm -hmm. things. I mean, I suppose at the time, probably, you know, people could go to Suncoast and buy those expensive, you know, VHS tapes or whatever. But, like, I I, I don't know. Like, the the thing I was going to ask you guys about is, like i remember owning some issues of this volume but i almost feel like and and you know th- th- this this is where the the price point comes in but i almost feel like the 150 you know 2 dollar thing at some point almost priced me out like because i was kind of like Thinking about this, like I don't think I bought a lot of the the, the second volume issues until somewhere into the twenties, and then and then I was thinking about it too, for for Eugene specifically, like if this was a spinner at comic, like do you remember where you bought it? Because I feel like uh, to me, like these seem like nicer like, you know, like more, like, uh, not that they were direct market comics, but the, it seems like this was the type of thing, like, if I did get it off a of spinner rack, I feel like I would have gotten it from, like, a Walden Books or something. Now,
2: this one, if I remember right, I picked up, so technically not a spinner rack, be it, I picked it up in a comic shop that was, it was in, in the town I grew up, it was this little hole-in-the-wall place, it was like a, um, one step above a stall in a flea market, but this guy, he had a, a small shop. It was only maybe, I don't know, a hundred square foot <laughs> in the whole thing, but I would go in there every couple of weeks and say, like, Oh, well, you got a couple of Star Trek comics. I'll, I'll pick them up along with my quasar and Avengers and stuff like that. And Superman, because this was the, the triangle era of Superman. And, uh, It, I had, I had some kind of, um, I had some kind of allowance at the point that allowed me to get multiple issues because it was before I, I was working. So it it must've been just one of those things where my parents would drive me over. It's okay. Yeah. Get what you're going to get and let's get going grocery shopping or whatever. Yeah. I think what, what drew me to this is the cover though, is the, uh, because it's not, technically a trial it's a hearing kind of thing but you have the uh the on the cover you have the federation president in the judges space the klingon a klingon doesn't look like the klingon ambassador a klingon smiling at kirk at the defendants table while bell oxmix in the witness stand says yeah that's the mug i i I probably (laughs) saw that it's like okay i have to own this now
0: uh, talking about the price point, I think that's what kept me from buying a whole lot of like the next generation comic series mm-hmm. because like I mm-hmm. I, okay. I didn't have as many issues of that. Like I kind of concentrated on original series, and then every now and then, if like if I had some extra money or I found a few issues cheap somewhere, I would pick up some TNG issues. But like I I, I mean there was one point when I was growing up, I was buying like ten or twelve books from various places like Walden Books or grocery stores and i kind of like had to like pick and choose and some you know some stuff i just couldn't get and the tng book was one that i usually just didn't pick up
1: i i feel like this is a weird story but i'm gonna tell it anyway like when when i was buying these type of comics like whether it was star trek i i probably i mean i did buy some of the next generation books like i remember the what was it like the Madala imperative because mm-hmm. it you know it had like Spock and the mm-hmm. boy and stuff and I was thinking that was great because that was even before like unification ever came out so I was like oh boy like Mr. Spock in the future like woo like all that kind of stuff and but I I think I did still lean towards, more original series, like, I don't think it had quite gotten to season four yet, where everybody was kind of like, yay, this is Star Trek too!" Like It was still kind of like, you were still kind of like, okay, I'll watch this, but I'm not quite sure if it's Star Trek, like, you know, the original series is like Star Trek. But I remember what was funny was, um, it was... It was probably, like, around, because what, 1990? So, I don't know. Like, it, it was probably, like, in between middle school and high school or whatever. And I, I remember there was a, a girl that read... Specifically the next generation comics and stuff. And I remember being like, you know, super fascinated by that and also kind of like, this is, this is what I it dates it. It's 1990 people, cut me a fucking break, Mm. but she was a goddamn unicorn. You guys
0: are so fucking cool.
1: Like I was like, what? Like what? She's reading comics, like for reals and stuff. And I, I, I just remember like that was. That was like one of those things where I, you know, I'm like, I I, I took her to a dance. We went out and it was cool. But like that, that was like one of those things where I was like, the funny part was I was kind of like, what? I like comics too, but I kind of like these original (laughs) sequence comics and not the next generation comics, but it's still cool that you're reading comics. It's awesome. So like I was like, this is great. Like this is awesome. But yeah, like I I remember cause she, she loved the next generation. I mean, it was, it it was definitely in that era where, you know, like, I mean, it got to that point where by the time, you know, Star Trek generations came out, like it was on the cover of time Mm. and everybody and their brother was all into Star Trek and stuff. And I think that would, some of that had permeated into you know uh, you know her as a as a fan or whatever you know like like she she liked the show so much she was dare I say, thirsty for more. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like that was, you know, she wanted more stories and whether that was like novels or comics or whatever, she was, she was into that world and that fiction and she sought that stuff out. So, I mean, anyway, I, I just feel like I, I don't normally get a chance to, you know, sometimes if I could find those things that are interesting about these, these comics, but, you know, to me, that was like. A lifetime ago, but it was like one of those things where I think about it. I'm just kind of like, oh yeah, she loved, <laughs> she loved those books. Like she really, really did. And I was kind of like, you know, I, I I'm sitting here thinking to myself, oh yeah, I was busy reading, you know, Aliens vs Predator and Transformers and all these other things. And oh yeah, Star Trek. You know, like that kind of thing. And 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 to me, especially, it was more, you know, the Kirk, you know, post movie era type stuff. Whereas I don't know that I. I, I got as many of those The Next Generation books. But of course, when, when we were hanging out, I was like, oh, yeah, I, I, I bought some Next Generation books so I could have, you know, something to talk to her about and stuff like that. Uh,
0: I remember I had a pen pal for a short time and I got his address from an issue of like this volume of Star Trek. I, I can't remember what issue, but like oh, wow. our it was like some kind of school assignment. Like you have to like get a pen pal. And for some reason, I had the idea. Well, I'll just get somebody's address from a comic book. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> you could do I that like, back then. <laughs> yeah, you could, you could. You could totally do that back then, and it wasn't that weird. But um, like I remember perusing different people's letters, and I was like, "This guy sounds kind of smart." And I wrote to him. I was like, "Hey, I'm a kid. Do you want to be a pinball?" And he was like, "Sure, kid." And he ran some kind of like Star Trek fan club. It was called uh, I forget the USS blah 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 fart (laughs) lag or something and you know you like i could tell like he was like way older than me and we only wrote to each other four or five times but i can like i specifically remember writing to him and talking about like you know i look really excited to see generations and you know all this stuff and like you know i was asking his opinion i i think he was like not looking forward to it for some reason i was just like well how could you not be excited like it's kirk and picard like it's gonna be great and and then after that, I don't think we wrote to each other very often mm. after that. So sorry.
2: Yeah, I remember the, the next-gen comics of this era. I think I had the first, like, six and then stopped until, like, the Moldavia Imperative or whatever. Whatever the crossovers were, because I'm a completist that way. But the, the stories just weren't all that good in the next-gen comic. And it's probably because they had a, so much less to draw on they only had what had been shown on television so far and they're it really the characters were a lot more two-dimensional in that than they were in in the regular Star Trek comic so that be, I between mean, that's probably that and the price point just probably got me to say yeah I I'll just stick with classic thank you very much yeah I mean I'm I'm not gonna say
1: I never had any mm. of them but I I, I I I had interesting periods it's like you would you would yeah, because that's that's what i'm noticing looking at this where it's like i would there there would be like you know four or five or six months where i was like i was buying that every month and then you drop out of it for a little while then maybe one of the covers would catch your attention or something like that like i i remember w- one of the the arcs that really caught my attention was when d- towards the end of that or you know volume 2 where they they dealt with like you know young kirk and carol marcus and kind of telling their story like it was around what 73, 74, 75. Mm. And I was like, Oh, you know, I, I love wrath of Khan and the, the, the cover stood out to me. And, and, and the fact that it had to do with, you know, Kirk and Carol Marcus, I was kind of like, Oh, okay. I, I want to find out what that's all about. And that, that sort of drew me back in. But, you know, some, sometimes there were patches where, you know, I, I went sort of cold turkey because I was, you know, I don't know. I was, I was reading like, you know, Marvel Comics presents or, you know, I don't know, some other. Other comic or something, and, and, and those took a backseat for a little while.
0: The only DC next gen comic story I can think of is The Worst of Both Worlds, which is like this multi part story where they go to like an alternate reality where they didn't defeat the Borg in the best of both worlds, so they have to like help their mm-hmm. alternate. You know, selves and like Riker has some kind of weird, you know, space eye patch and huh. everyone everyone's all like grumpy and stuff from fighting the board like I think that was like the lead up to issue 50. I think it 50 had like this really nice painted cover and it was like, you know, double sized and everything and that like that was the conclusion of that story. But that's the only story I can even remember that made an impression on me from that volume.
1: I'm like I, I Patch Riker needs to talk to Hair frazzled Riker <laughs> from that yeah, yeah. one episode or whatever. They need to compare notes. Everywhere, to get their asses kicked.
2: Don't send us back. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, if you send me back, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lose an eye. Justin's read all the <laughs> Awesome, awesome. Yeah, all right. Well, I mean, I, I, I feel pretty good about this. I don't know if you guys have any other last thoughts on like DC. Star Trek comics or even the, the Marvel series in general. But if not, um, I, I'd give this as an opportunity to, uh, have Gene let our listeners know, like where, where else can people find you out there on the interwebs? You know, if people want to listen to other shows or, or things that you're involved in, you know, in the, uh, whether it's Star Trek or other other fun kind of uh, pop culture stuff. Where, where can people find well, you? Well, the
2: best place to find me is over at the Two True Freaks Network. And there I've got a couple shows that are currently on hiatus, uh, mainly because I just moved quite quite a few hundred miles. Uh, so eventually I'll be picking back up with them. But you can find me on the Hammer Podcast, um, by myself or with a guest, on Anime Freaks with Dr. Bill, or on... Uh, The Quantum Cast with my buddy Adam Worth talking about the protector of the universe, Quasar. My blog is also currently on hiatus, but you can always go back and read some old articles at TheHammerStrikes.com. And in the meantime, I'm just doing guest spots here and there. I've been on Fire and Water. I'm now on Fan Holes. I've been on uh, Two True Freaks. So just search my name and you'll either find a park in Eugene, Oregon, or you'll find my podcasts. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Yeah, cool. So yeah, th- I guess this will uh, wrap things up for,
1: for our episode. If you've enjoyed listening to comics, motherfucker, do you read them? Then please consider checking out the backlog of all our, our episodes. They're over on fanholspodcast.blogspot.com. In addition to this show, we have all kinds of other spinoff shows. We've got Toku Thursdays, Mobile Suit Mondays, Transformers Tuesdays, Sentai Saturdays. We've got the Fanholes Podcast proper. We've got Big in Japan, where we talk about anime. We've got. Um, Justice Not Entirely Dissimilar to Lightning, a Thunderbolts podcast. So you can check all those out and all the backlog of shows are there. If you have any questions and or concerns, if you think that there shall be no peace so long as Kirk lives and you want to tell us about it, send us an email at fanholspodcast at gmail.com. And we can be streamed on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. Um, so check out all those. And we're on all kinds of social media, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We appreciate all the likes, shares, retweets, feedback, hearts, and listens. And until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC,
2: signing off.
0: This is Justin signing off. Kapla.
2: And this is Gene signing off. And just want to remind you I'm Captain Kirk! <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me. This was fun. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm going to have to dig out my old comics and start reading them again. <laughs> yeah, I, I
1: had fun with this. I, 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 I couldn't just read the three that we were assigned. Mm-hmm. I was I was reading a bunch, so I, I usually have a good time doing Star Trek-type stuff.
2: Yeah, well, in preparation for the, uh, the movie that will be re-released in theaters in the next few weeks, I'm going to dig out the... Um, the scan of the Marvel treasury edition and read through that. Oh, awesome. Good. Cause awesome. that was also on that C-
1: CD. Yeah. I want to, I want to try to see that when it comes out in the theater. Cause I, I think that's one that I've never seen in the theater. Like that was always something for me. Like it's funny. I had that, that Marvel comic and I had the little, uh, what was it? Like the, what was it? The Renco like little three and three fourths, spock action mm. figure but i for the longest time i always thought like you know star trek 2 was like a sequel to the tv series or something like <laughs> i don't i don't think i knew that the motion picture existed when i was a little kid for a little while i didn't i because i was like i had never seen it so i didn't understand until i think i saw it on like home video or something that there was a a first moon yeah, movie. yeah
2: well, the motion picture was my first ever uh, exposure to star trek So I have a very, very fond place in my heart for that. It is fucking cool.